At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Newish. Everything's changed. Have you? Where we're celebrating that in Christ, we have been given new life. The only question is, are you living it? Let's turn to Romans chapters 5 through 7 to decipher whether we're living in Christ's freedom or trapped in the patterns of our old life. I invite you to uh, open with me today to Romans chapter 6, verse 15. Uh, Really, we're going to get right into it right away as a means of introduction. Because the Apostle Paul asks a question right away in this passage, which echoes the thought he had that we talked about last week, as Pastor Rob led us through the first half of chapter 6. And the question he has in Romans 6, 15 is this. It sets up what we'll talk about today. He asks this, he says, What then are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? Are we to sin? Are we allowed to do wrong things? Are we given total freedom to do whatever we want, even if it's contrary to God, even if it puts itself over and beyond God? Are we allowed to sin because... We're not earning our way to God. He's graciously forgiven us. Can we sin now? That's the question. Really, I guess you you might ask the question this way. Now that I'm under grace, is sin really a big deal? Is sin really a big deal? Sure, it made sense that sin was a huge problem when it was the thing that kept me from God. But now that God has graciously extended mercy, is my sin just like not a big deal anymore? In our series, Paul has been explaining to the early church in the city of Rome that God had made a way for people who were far from him, who were wicked, who deserved because of their rebellion against God, really the rebellion against their own law that they would have set up for themselves in their own minds. In every way, they were lawbreakers. In every way, we aren't who we know we ought to be. And the punishment that God has for that, since God is holy and right and just, he's not going to let wrong get away with without making it right. And the way to make it right, he postulates, he argues from the Holy Spirit is death. The wages for our sin is death. And and so he makes this argument that while we deserve death, God took care of that problem by sending Jesus to live the perfect life, the law-abiding life that none of us could live, so that he didn't deserve that penalty, but then substituted himself for us by dying on the cross in our place for our sins. And when we believe that, we confess our sins and trust in him alone as our Lord and leader, then Jesus takes care of our sin problem, makes us right with him, adopts us as children, sets us free from our slavery to everything, and instead sets us free to know him. Gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us and allow us to live for him in a way that gives us life like we never could have known it before. This is God's grace. So, Paul thinks logically about that. He's admitting that even as we see this grace that we're given in Christ, we're still battling sin. 
If you came here with someone today, they'd be willing to rat you out. No matter who you are, no matter what kind of life you live, we still don't measure up. Because even though God has transformed our spirit already, our flesh is still the same. We're still chained in that sense to some old habits, to some things that are trying to tempt us back to our old ways. We all sin. And we might be wondering at that point, hey, everything's changed, have I? That's why as we've walked through Romans 5 and 6 here, we've called this series new-ish. Because we're supposed to be new, and maybe we kind of get excited about that idea, but then you look at yourself, or you look at your spouse, or you look at your kids, and you go, oh, no about that. Something is missing still. You know your own flaws and mistakes. I know mine. And you know what? When you think about it, your neighbor, who you're pretty sure is not a Christian, seems to have a really good life too. You read stories or, or have seen influencers who are doing really amazing, generous things. Grace of God kind of things. Reflecting his real heart and image kind of things. And you go, uh, what's the difference here? In fact, as we've learned about God's grace, it doesn't take too long for us to start justifying things in our mind and going, you know what, if I know God's grace and mercy well, if he's taking care of my penalty forever, does it really make a difference if I give in every now and then? Or a little more often than that? Can you go ahead and let loose because you're already forgiven? Paul anticipates that reality. And he has an answer. What's he say next? By no means. No way. What a ghastly thought. Absolutely not. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience that leads to righteousness. Paul's making a point here that's just a common everyday illustration. They looked all around them, and slavery existed. In that time, probably about one out of every three people were currently a slave, and in all reality, two out of every three people had been a slave at one point in their life. Slavery existed as a system, different from maybe what we know in our nation's history, but still Missing all of God's heart for what humanity ought to have been. Paul isn't justifying the institution, but he's referencing it to help us understand what's going on in our hearts. And as he looks at this, he makes the same analogy that Jesus himself made. Where he said, truly, truly, I say to you in John 8, anyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave to sin. They're both saying this. There's a generalized truth here. Whatever voice you submit to, whatever power you're listening to, influenced by obeying in your life, that's the thing that masters you. That's the thing that controls you, has authority over you. In that sense, to go with Paul's idea of slavery, everyone is a slave to something. Everyone is a slave to something. 
Now that goes against maybe every fiber of our freedom-loving ideas about who we are. We're individualists. We get to choose our own destiny. We get to do what we want to do, but you all know that's a lie. Your life is filled with limitations of your own choosing, right? You're limited in what your cash flow is, sure. But I can change that and I can get a different job. Okay, but now you're limited in your time and your passions and your emotional availability. Okay, but then you can do whatever you want. You can overcome and you can hustle and you can read a lot of uh, self-betterment books. There's literature out to wazoo. You've got this and you're going to do this and you're going to overcome and you're going to get in shape and you're going to run faster than anyone ever before. And No matter what you do, there's a limit, Right? Physically, emotionally, spiritually, logically, we live in limitations. And we're a slave to what we submit to, what we obey. He goes on and he says this. In the middle of admitting, okay, we are enslaved by something. We'll talk more about that in a second. He opens up a way out. In verse 17 he says this. Thanks be to God, but thanks be to God. You, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to a standard of teaching which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking human terms because of your natural limitations. Again, he's just reiterating, this is my illustration to you. You used to be slaves to your own sin. It controlled you. But thanks be to God, there's a set of teachings, there's a doctrine, there's a truth that has set you free. You are now slaves to that. You are now obedient from the heart to that. Everyone is bound to something, but thanks be to God through the gospel, Paul says we can belong to God instead. Slaves to God were free from slavery or sin, no longer ruled or controlled by our various rebellions or identities. Instead, I love this phrase, we're obedient from the heart. You get the picture he's going for there? God has remade us. It isn't that, man, there's the old man, and he's in the boxing ring in that corner. And there's the new man, and he's in the boxing ring in that corner, and we're hoping the new man wins this time around. It's that you were dead, and there wasn't a whole lot happening, and there wasn't a whole lot of hope. But God made you alive. You're new now. Your desires, your hopes, your ambitions, your purposes, everything about you and your spirit now already and your body one day is new. So God's changed your mind about everything you think about anything that's against God. You now want to obey God. Obedience, belonging to God in that sense becomes freedom for you. It's like if someone was in a wheelchair and they were slaves to that chair. They couldn't go anywhere. Their legs didn't work. But instead, they were healed and they can walk now and they're free to go anywhere under their own power. And they get to obey that power to walk. It's an opportunity 
not a problem. They're not slaves to walking now. They're thrilled about walking now. See, everybody is a slave. One thing or another. Our sin or God and his goodness and freedom. Life. In that sense, while everyone's a slave, Christians are free. Free within that obedience. Free within that life. Knowing goodness beyond what we could know. So to get to the, Paul's question, can I sin? Is the gospel, is this grace, is this mercy, is this life that I have now licensed to keep sinning? Because I already know I got an ace up my sleeve. God's going to forgive me. Already has. When we're truly under grace, what Paul is saying is from the heart, you would never want that. You would never want to sin. God's changed everything about your mind here. Everything about your heart and hopes here. In fact, theologian F.F. Bruce says it this way. I love his phrasing. To make being under grace, being a Christian now saved, to make being under grace an excuse for sinning, man, it's a sign that you're not really under grace at all. If you think the gospel gives you the chance to sin and it'll be okay tomorrow, I think that Paul is saying you actually may not know Jesus. Because when you know Jesus, that's not true about you anymore. The gospel remade people not only know the gospel and what it means, they not only believe it, but they love who the gospel allows them to serve. They love who the gospel allows them to be enslaved to. They love to obey. In this new life, obedience and belonging to God is freedom. You know, if you were no good at football and were named Ben Hickson, I have this dream when I try to exercise. I think that maybe someone will see me struggling down the street and think, I think we should draft him. Put him on the field as a starter tomorrow and he'll be a superstar. You can make fun of me for that later. But as I'm struggling down the road, I'm imagining scenarios. Usually for me, it's soccer. But for the sake of illustration, we'll, we'll work with a sport that you guys respect. Uh, let's work with football. Um, I have a dream that me, an average, ordinary, no good athlete, suddenly is propelled, selected, picked by grace, transformed onto this football team. Let's say the Detroit Lions. <laughs> It's a bad analogy for being saved and brought into the family of God, but uh, we'll work with it. Um, I'm put on the Detroit Lions. I'm paid their salary. These are really incredible for me. I was jogging down the street at about 22 minutes per mile, and then I'm being paid to wear a jersey on the sideline. I'm a member of the team. I'm in the family. They sign my paycheck. I serve them. And then they put me on the field. They're using me. I'm a part of this team. This is my moment. They hand me the ball. And I turn around and I run to the other team's end zone. Is that what I do? And people are like, okay, he's confused. Obviously, this is like a charitable moment to get good publicity because we're not good enough to get publicity on our own. So we'll give him another shot. That was an honest mistake. How very Detroit Lions of us, right? And so 
They put me back on the field, and they're like, I know what I'm supposed to do now. I serve this team. I'm a part of this team. I love to score for my team. I'm going to grab the ball. I'm going to run to that end zone. They hand me the ball. Do I turn around and I run to the other end zone? I don't want to run to the other end zone. Right? Like, that's not who I serve. I, I maybe used to serve the other team. Really, no team at all. I didn't play. Now I'm on the team. Now I'm in the family. Now I get to... Do good. I'm a slave to scoring for my team. I don't. I don't have any desire to think, I'll score for the other team today because I know it's going to be all right at the press conference tomorrow. If you're on the team, you don't think that way. In fact, if you think that way, what we all know to be true is you actually are getting your paycheck signed by the other team. You actually are an imposter You're just trying to blend in, wearing the wrong uniform. That's what Paul is bringing to light here. Are you free? Are you a Christian? What team are you on? Who do you serve? Paul goes on to give maybe some signs of authentic faith that can help us identify what is this problem. Because here's the deal. I'm maybe a little concerned here now because as I think about my life, I can think about a lot of ways where I still am not who I need to be. And now I'm wondering if I'm actually on the team. How can I know? Paul says this. Speaking natural terms, human terms, because of your limitations, I'm trying to help you understand verse 19, this slavery to sin versus freedom to be a slave to God analogy. For just as you once presented yourself as your, and your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, which leads to more lawlessness, you used to obey sin, which led you to more sin, which really ruined your life. Now, now that you understand from the heart this gospel... Present your members as slaves instead to righteousness, which leads you to sanctification. To know who you're a slave of, to know what team you're a part of, maybe you should ask, who do you obey? Who is from your heart who you obey? Who we obey reveals to whom we belong. Because we're not in Christ saved only from punishment, though we are. We are saved from God's wrath. We're also saved to obedience. Our old selves are dead, but that's not all. We are made new to walk in the good deeds that God has planned before time for us to walk in. What you actually believe, what you actually know and maybe say... They're betrayed, they're revealed by what we do. Now, of course, I don't think anybody with some perhaps infamous examples of the opposite admits and walks around yelling, I'm on team sin! That's who I obey! Can't wait! Gonna do this. We're no more nuanced than that. We deceive ourselves way better than that. Right? Like, instead, we walk around saying, I serve and obey my identity or, or my amb- ambitions. Th- that's what controls me. 
could have a chance to wake up every day if I'm a believer and, and say, God, you define who I am. I am your child. I walk in your worth and I do your good things. Give me joy in being your child today and, and walk in that. Instead, I, I wake up, which reveals maybe I'm not actually made new by the gospel and I serve my own ambitions or my own identity or my own greed or my own appetites. I give in to all of those things because they own me. Paul says, who you obey reveals you used to give yourselves to sin. Now you should be giving yourselves righteousness. It reveals whether you're free in Christ or not. And he shares another sign. He says in verse 20, When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That's not a good thing. Free to what is good. Dead, unable to experience and taste any of really living. When you were slaves to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed for the end of those things is death. You blush to think about all those things that you used to serve if you're in Christ. They didn't get you anything good in the end and probably not even much good in the meantime either. Resulted in the permanence of your spiritual death. It brought hurt and ruin then he says, but now, but now you've been set free from sin, you've become slaves of God. The fruit you get, being a slave to God, leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. You become more like Christ, that's the result, that's the fruit of obeying God. So not only do we ask who do we obey, maybe we ask what fruit do you see? Because when we're slaves to righteousness, we experience the fruit of that obedience. Like Paul talks about in Galatians 5, the fruit of that obedience, the fruit of that spirit in that sense is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Those kind of things are the things you see in your life when you are in Christ. That's the outcome. It's the fruit no matter the season, no matter the soil, soil you're planted in. As you walk into those moments empowered by the Spirit, not because you're smart enough, not because you went to enough classes, not because you read this book enough, though all of those things help fuel your sanctification, the Spirit is what has made you alive to know that fruit. What fruit do we see in our lives? Fruit of authentic faith? Freedom? It's wise to know for certain, church family. Because Paul tells us that the wages of sin, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In a life of service to either God or sin, in the end, there's a return on that investment. Death or true life. Sin pays its servants, we might paraphrase. Sin pays its servants. The wage is death. 
But God gives to those who serve him. His free gift is life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what destiny awaits us? What destiny awaits us? Everyone is a slave to something. Do you belong to Jesus? Is your destiny life? When we belong to Jesus, ultimately we behave like Jesus. God makes us like himself because he's made us like himself. He said, be holy like I'm holy. And he started by giving us his holiness. We love obeying him. There's fruit in our service to obey him. And we are sure of our destiny, destiny in him. Freedom for a Christian doesn't look like anarchy, doesn't look like getting to live however you want, whenever you want to, and making up for it the next day. Freedom looks like enthusiastic, loving, passionate obedience to God and his ways, because that's the inclination of our heart and the prize and treasure we have. If you belong to Jesus, but like all who belong to Jesus, to some degree, as we understand it, or more. There are areas of your life where you serve sin. And as you listen to this today, you're thinking, I'm ashamed of this. I'm worried about that. I need to take care of this. I urge us today as a family. Guys, the right thing to do is to respond now and today, not to wait, to repent and confess of our sin. That's a sign of someone who's been made new in Christ. They repent and confess of their sin. They kill it wherever it turns up, and it will keep turning up as God makes us more and more like him. We'll see new and greater areas of our life that don't fit with the freedom we've had in Christ. We'll be observing communion in just a moment. I think there's a reason that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let a person examine himself and so eat the bread and drink the cup. We examine our hearts. We make sure we don't ever give time or space to serve or allow our hearts to be deceived into serving an old master who no longer has claim on us. When we belong to Jesus, we hate that master. We hate our sin. We're free from it. We live in repentance instead. So if you haven't, in the meantime, repented of your sin at all, believed in Jesus' sacrifice for your place, then the truth that the Bible couldn't be more clear of is this. If you live in the service of something, if you're here today, if you're online right now, if you exist in the world, you live in the service of something, and if you wait long enough, you'll discover it's destroying you. But there is hope. God has made a way, and that way is a way to be slaves to a new master, to know life and joy and happiness and obedience to him, not by our obedience to him, but because of his work for us. 
That's the standard of teaching that Paul talks about in verse 17. There's a, there's a gospel truth, a doctrine, that these communion elements that we're going to take and remember that doctrine with represent. The bread that Jesus gave his life and body for us and the juice, the wine, the cup that Jesus bled for us, dying in our place for our sin, paying the wages that our sin and rebellion demanded. And his grace then, he gives us goodness instead. Believing then we're saved from God's wrath, by God's grace, because of God's love, into God's people, with God's goodness, to obey God's ways through God's power and for the glory of God. So when it comes to the reality of sin in our lives, is it a big deal? I'm learning that there are two mistakes we make when it comes to our sin. We underestimate the horror of sin's presence in our lives. We think we can sit on it for just a little while and enjoy it, and it won't change us, and it doesn't reveal that maybe perhaps we're not who we think we are. We're playing for the wrong team. We've deceived ourselves. We forget what Jesus had to do, chose to do, walked into doing because of that sin. We underestimate the horror of sin's presence, but we also underestimate the transformation of God's grace in our lives. If you're a Christian, when it comes to your sin, we constantly underestimate the power of God's transforming grace in our lives. Church, we are free to obey God. Not because we're afraid of what God will do to us, but because we obey out of gratitude for what God has already done for us. We obey out of new hearts, new lives, new purposes that he's given us. We love to love what is good. We love God himself. And when you and I understand how infinitely great God is, how extraordinarily gracious he was through the power of the cross, we don't live. May it never be that we live wondering what sin we can get away with. We live alive and free to enjoy the very best life we could possibly know. Any greatness that our appetite could find, ultimately the glory of our incredible God. That's who God's children live like. We don't live in shame either, trying to hide, because we don't feel like we measure up or fit in, trying to kill sins by ourselves. We live committed to the standard of teaching, the gospel, knowing that our old self has died. That's not where our hope lies. Instead, we get to do this together, already transformed by the power of the Spirit, able to fight sin and live in victory together because of a God who loves us and has given us everything we need for life and godliness, including the gift of repentance. When we find the sin that we hate in our lives, Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.